It is great to be back with you all again tonight, and specifically as we get a chance to be able to ordain two young men into the gospel ministry. And by the way, I'm now at a point in my life when I say young men, I can look down and I feel like I've aged a little bit in this process. Um, One of the things that I want to say before we even get into any part of this evening's message is that there is a calling that God places on everybody's life in order to be salt and light in the place that he's called you to. So there is a calling to be a teacher. There is a calling to be a business person. There is a calling to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, to work in a factory, to be a farmer. There there is a calling to be a godly stay-at-home mom. It's wherever God has called you, that's where he wants you to be salt and light. But there's also some that God calls into a vocational part of ministry, and that is a a calling that comes with a certain set of challenges, and it's one that I want to do my best this evening to be able to address from God's Word. So as we get started, let me just kind of say, when I was growing up, my parents would use some interesting phrases. I just probably need to leave it there. Interesting phrases in order to get their point across. So, for example, if I were haphazardly doing my chores, my mom would say, you're just giving that a lick and a promise. Have you ever thought about that phrase before? What exactly is the origin of a lick and a promise? What exactly does that mean? Now, that phrase was usually followed by, you need to buckle down and do it right. Well, I got the second part of that phrase, like doing it right, but what exactly does it mean to buckle down? What exactly am I supposed to be buckling? All right, they also might round out that motivational speech with your burning daylight, just jump to it. Now, if we took everything literally, we would be licking things and buckling things and burning things and jumping on top of things. It's no wonder the English language is so difficult for many people to be able to learn. That is, most of our communication happens to be in code. Well, there is another phrase that many of us have heard many times before, and that is, you're just asking for blank. And you can fill in that blank. It's a very versatile phrase. So, for example, if somebody is doing something that is dangerous, you might say, you're just asking to get hurt. Or maybe there's somebody who's hanging around with the wrong crowd, and somebody might come by and say, you're just asking for trouble. Or maybe there's somebody, maybe it's a spouse, and they correct their spouse in front of another crowd, and they're just asking for an argument on the way home that night. Okay, there's a lot of ways you can use that particular phrase. Well, tonight I want to use that phrase, but I want to spin it in a positive sense. That is, I want to spin it on the side of what it looks like to serve God. And that is, there are certain things that can be parts of your life that when they're a regular part, you are just asking for God to use you. So I'm going to do my best tonight to try to unpack that concept specific for this ordination service with Dalton Moore and Alan Godhart. I want you all to listen to some principles out of the Apostle Paul's life. There's some that are captured within the book of Philippians. I want you to listen to these principles because they not only are going to be those that help you in your service for God, but if these are a regular part of your life, you are asking to be used by God. I'm going to invite you all to go with me in your Bibles this evening to the book of Philippians, 
chapter number one. Philippians chapter number one. I'm speaking this evening on the subject asking to be used. We find ourselves in the first two verses. It says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this evening that you would allow your word to come alive in our hearts. God, we're asking tonight that you would allow these particular truths to be so strong, to be so focused, to be so practical that every single person in this room can walk away saying, those are truths that I need to be a part of my life. God, we need your spirit in order to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Many Christians desire to be used by God, but many Christians will also say there is a gap between their desires and their reality. That wasn't the case for the Apostle Paul. In fact, at the very end of Paul's earthly life, he was able to say that his life had been poured out like a drink offering in service for God. That was a final offering in a series of different offerings that were given. It was one that symbolized completeness, that nothing had been held back. He was also able to get to the end of his life and say that he had run the race that was set before him, and he finished the race. How awesome would it be to get to the end of your life and to be able to say, I have finished what God placed me on this earth to do. Do you recognize apart from Jesus in the Bible, the Apostle Paul is the only one who gets to the end and says, I've run the race, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. What an incredible description. Now when we get into Paul's life, I, I doubt that anybody would be able to say that there is an individual apart from Jesus who has done more for the cause of Christ around the world than maybe what the Apostle Paul has. This is a man that God used in extraordinary ways. But there's some different pieces, some truths that we find even in these first couple of verses, in the introduction to the book of Philippians. There's some truths that you find here that if they become a part of your daily life, it'll change the way God can use you. So here's the first of those truths. How can it be that you're greatly used of God? Truth number one, allow humility to define your life. Allow humility to define your life. When your life is defined by humility, you are asking to be used by God. God will slap a mission on you faster than you can say, Lord, send me. In fact, when you look through Scripture, you'll find that God's pattern is often that he will use a humble person to accomplish his plans. When humility defines your life or when humility is a growing characteristic of your life, God doesn't have to worry about three attitudes interfering with the mission he's calling you to. I'm going to give you those attitudes. Attitude number one, this task is below me. Attitude number two, no one will see me. And attitude number three, I know better than God. God doesn't need a bunch of attitude messing with the mission. He'll use a less gifted person who's humble over a more gifted person who's prideful. 
Ability is not God's primary concern. He can make a rock praise him, he can make a bush speak, and he can make a donkey testify. Our abilities are not his primary concern. I want you to notice when Paul began this particular book, he did not say, Paul, a gifted theologian, veteran missionary, inspired author, and church planting extraordinaire. And here's Timothy, he's just a novice in the faith. Instead, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. You have the teacher and the student side by side. You have the mentor and the mentee side by side. You have the one who was whipped and the one who attended to his lashes. They're side by side. They're serving together. There is no distinction in their position because there is no difference in their service. They're both bondservants of Christ. The word that he uses there is doulos, that is a slave. A servant was free to come and go as they pleased, but a slave was one who was the possession of his master forever. The Apostle Paul saw himself as a slave of righteousness. He saw himself as a doulos of Christ. There's humility in how he defined himself. He would say, in something like this, how can it be that a person could be used of God if they don't first understand their position as a servant before him? Let's pause here for just a moment. Friend of mine, pastor friend in Tennessee, he told me about this young man, 18, 19 years old, he was an evangelist in the area, who kept coming to him and asking for an opportunity to preach at his church. And every time this young man came, he had the same basic speech. He would come and he would say, when are you going to call me to preach in your church? Because it's going to be a blessing, I can tell you that. And he'd come back a couple weeks later and he was like, so when are you going to have me to preach in your church? It's going to be a blessing. It's going to be a blessing. He tried this approach multiple times and finally he varied the approach just a little bit and he said, God told me that he wants to bless your church and he wants me to do it, so when can I come preach? To which my friend calmly replied, young man, as soon as God tells me the same thing, I'll give you a call. Okay, James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you want to be used by God, allow humility to reflect your life. If you want to ride the pines of kingdom usefulness, be prideful. Let humility define your life. Here's the next piece. Develop a partnership mentality. Christianity is a team sport. It is intended to be lived in community. In fact, there's a certain part of your growth in Christ that will only happen in community with other believers. God honors cooperation and partnership and people working together within the body. Whenever you read the book of Philippians, you begin to notice that there's partnership that kind of comes out at different points along the way. For example, there is a partnership between the apostle Paul and Timothy. There is a partnership between Paul and Timothy and the calling that Jesus placed on their life. There is a partnership that you find, a deep partnership between the Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi. In fact, this is a church that sent resources to further Paul's ministry and they encouraged him whenever he needed encouragement. Any journey worth taking 
is only better when you take other people with you. There's partnership that is involved. In most of the Apostle Paul's letters, he had to take time up front in order to state his apostolic credentials just for people to be able to listen to what he was about to share. You don't find him doing that in the letter to the Philippians. Instead, because of that partnership, that relationship in the gospel, he's able to immediately come in and begin to share truths with this particular group of people. In fact, you'll notice the depth of his partnership within the first 11 verses in chapter 1. That is, he says, I have you in my mind, verses 3 through 6. I have you on my heart, verses 7 and 8. And I have you in my prayers, verses 9 through 11. What a beautiful picture of partnership. So how did that relationship begin? How did that partnership begin? I I want you to notice in this text that he wrote to all the saints in Christ, in Christ, who are in Philippi. The reason they could have meaningful partnership is because of their mutual position in Christ. When a person repents of their sin by placing faith in Jesus, they are said to now be in Christ. They are in his family. They are in the beloved. They are in his care. They are in this this family of God. There is partnership that can develop out of that. A partnership is not primarily based on location. They are in Christ in Philippi. But listen to this. Somebody might be in Christ in Albania, and you and I might be in Christ in Albany, and we can have partnership in the gospel. Our location is not nearly as essential as our position in Christ. One spoke of position when it comes to spiritually. The other spoke of position physically in Philippi. The second key in this partnership is that Paul respected and endorsed the leadership of the church. Did you notice in this that he addressed all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons? By addressing the leadership separately, it is an endorsement of their authority and a recognition of their leadership. What he did not do is come in and play the apostle card. He did not come in and stir the place up leave a bunch of junk for the leadership to deal with on the other side. Instead, he addresses them, showing them respect. Guys, listen to me on this. God's going to give you an opportunity to preach in different places. He'll give you an opportunity to preach in different churches. Your job is to not go in there and cause problems for the pastor who's in that church. Your job is to come alongside that pastor and say, how can I serve you? What are the needs in this church that I don't know about? But if you'll tell me about it, I'll pray and see where God leads me in this. There is a part of respecting the authority that God has placed in the local church. And you see the Apostle Paul doing that. If anybody had the right to come in and stir the place up, it'd be the Apostle Paul. And yet you see that there is this respect that he shows for the leadership of that group. Paul was a cultivator of partnerships. He knew that God could do more in his life if he worked with others for the advancement of the kingdom. You'll notice that whenever the apostle Paul traveled, he didn't travel alone. He always had companions with him. He had Timothy or John Mark or Titus or Barnabas or Silas or somebody else that he was walking through ministry with. He was serving together with others. If you develop a partnership mentality, It is one of those ways in which God will use you in an amazing way. Here's another truth. 
Refuse to let circumstances deter you. Refuse to let circumstances deter you. I'm going to spend a lot of time on this one particular section because I think that's where there's a lot of concern right now within the local church. When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, he was not sipping smoothies poolside. He's writing from prison in Rome. He had been arrested for the sake of the gospel. He's now under house arrest. There's guards with him 24 hours a day. And instead of him being bitter and instead of him focusing on himself, you see him still serving others with joy. In fact, joy is such a prominent part of this particular book that the words rejoicing or joy show up 16 times. In the letter, it culminates with this phrase, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. Now, it's easy to say that if everything's going great, but when you're in prison, it's a little bit harder to say something like that. That statement seems either presumptuous or naive or maybe even a little bit both. I mean, how exactly can a believer rejoice in everything? Life can be painful and problems are everywhere and sickness, disease, and death, those are inevitable. The good guy doesn't always win. The bad guy doesn't always get punished. How can you rejoice in the Lord always? Well, the reason that statement sounds so foreign to us is because we still connect our joy to circumstances. What you find is when we think that our joy will increase when our circumstances get better, it really won't matter whenever the circumstances get better. If you can't have joy in Christ in the midst of difficult times, you're not going to have joy in Christ when things are better. We find that joy is one of those things that goes beyond circumstances. Joy is not about what we do. It's not about what we have. It's not about what we accomplish. It's not even about what we experience. Joy is found in knowing Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Whenever you know him, you can have unending joy regardless of your circumstances. So Paul is in prison. For many believers, that would have been the end of their service right there. They'd have checked out at that point. They're like, I tried to serve the Lord. He put me in prison. I, I'm, I'm kind of done. That is not what you find with the Apostle Paul. In fact, his joy and service were not found in where he was, but in who he knew. Whether he was in prison, whether he was shipwrecked, whether he was beaten or bullied, it didn't take away from his ability to minister the grace of God. He simply shifted how he ministered within that context. So when he couldn't preach, he wrote. When he couldn't plant churches, he trained church planters. When he couldn't teach to the masses, he discipled prison guards. When he couldn't join the church choir, he started a prison choir with Silas at midnight. When his ship sunk off the island of Malta, he shared Christ with the people of Malta. When the Holy Spirit forbade him from preaching the word in Asia, he preached the word in Europe. Here's the thing. Whenever you are in Christ, even if the master changes your circumstances, it only resets the agenda as to how he wants to use you. Don't let circumstances deter you. When you're a bondservant of Christ, your agenda is not your primary concern. 
I had a conversation recently with Reed Mathis. We were talking about Watchman Nee. I don't know if anybody around here, apart from myself and, and uh, Mr. Reed, have enjoyed some Watchman Nee. But for those of you who don't know who this is, he's been referred to as a 20th century Apostle Paul. Christian leader in China, arrested under the Communist Party back in 1952 for preaching the gospel. He was placed in prison, and he kept preaching. And there were so many people that were coming to faith in Christ in prison, it was causing a problem in the prisons. They threatened him that if he didn't stop preaching, they'd cut out his tongue. He didn't stop preaching, and they cut out his tongue. So now unable to preach, he began to write. And he was writing to the point more people were coming to faith under his writings than came to faith under his preaching. They said, if you don't stop writing, we'll cut off your hands. He didn't stop writing, and they cut off his hands. So he could no longer preach, and he could no longer write, so he started to pray. And more people were coming to faith through his prayers and came to faith under his preaching and under his writing. So they said, if you don't stop praying, we'll hold back medical care as well as food. They held it back and he eventually died. Here's my point. He didn't let circumstances deter him. Too many people want to place stipulations upon their service for God. They say, God, I'll serve you if... I'll serve you if it's no more than 40 hours a week. I'll serve you if there's this salary package that comes with it. I'll serve you if you open up this door for me to serve in this church. I'll serve you if you put me in this particular city. But if you're going to be used of God, you keep your yes on the table regardless of where he decides to put you. What happened to those who were the Isaiahs of before, that their yes was out there before they said, Lord, send me? What happened to the Abrahams who were willing to step out on faith with God and they left their family, go into a land that God says, I'll show you when you get there? Where's that type of faith today? Some people might say, Paul, listen, I hear what you're saying, but if you don't watch out with that kind of preaching, there's going to be some people who they just burn out in ministry. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, okay. I don't see a whole lot burning out, but I see a whole lot messing up. I see a lot selling out. I see a whole lot more checking out. There's not a whole lot right now that are burning out in service for the Lord. Now, I'm not saying you go crazy. I'm saying you live out of the overflow of an intimate relationship with God. You, you serve where God has placed you to serve. But if you come through and you say, God, I'll serve you if you just went ahead and kind of slid yourself right off to the side to ride the pines of Christian service. Just say, God, put me in. Wherever it is, put me in. Help me to serve wherever you're calling me to serve. Part of my prayer, and you all join me in this prayer, Part of my prayer is God help the church to send out stronger men and women of faith who are not afraid to go to the hard places, not afraid to do the hard work. Unfortunately, right now, you don't have to threaten them that they're going to cut out their tongue or cut off their hands. Just say something mean about them on Twitter and they'll quit. 
Dalton, Allen, listen. The world needs Jesus more than you need to be liked. The world needs Jesus more than you need to be comfortable. The world needs somebody who is going to have the courage to walk into the dark places of this world with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You get an opportunity to do that. You all are going to see a generation that I'll never see, that many people in this room will never see. Be faithful in the calling that God has placed on your life. Be faithful in that. Don't let circumstances deter you. Here's the last one. Minister out of the overflow of your relationship with God. You and I have no ministry except the ministry of Christ. Our counsel, our service, our messages, they are all shallow and they are unfruitful if they don't flow from Christ. If we want to be used by him, we must learn to minister out of the overflow of our relationship with God. Within this introduction, the Apostle Paul drops off a a very beautiful message, but it's one that has extreme importance. Notice what he said. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace was a word of greeting in the Greek world, and peace, or shalom, was a word of greeting from the Hebrew world. And Paul said, grace to you and peace, here it is, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't don't let that phrase slip past you. He didn't say, may God's grace and peace be with you. He said, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pause there. Let me illustrate this. For a number of years, when we were planting a church in Las Vegas, I was one of the missionaries sent out through the North American Mission Board. And they would bring me back to certain conferences. And every time I was speaking at a conference, they said, Paul, when you get before the people, if you would, take a moment to thank them for their contribution to the cooperative program and thank them for their their giving towards missions here in North America. They asked me to do that. So I, that's exactly what I did. I, I would get before different churches, before different crowds, conventions, and basically I would say, on behalf of the North American Mission Board, I want to thank you for your giving to the cooperative program. Your giving keeps people like me on the field out serving and planting a church in Las Vegas. Do you, do you know what I just did then? I dropped off a message from the one who sent me. Did you see what Paul did? He dropped off a message from the one who sent him. He said, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. In other words, I've been with God. I've been sitting with him. I'm thinking about you. And here's the words that come to mind thinking about you. Grace and peace. That's what God wants me to share with you. Imagine what would happen if in churches across America, if every Sunday the pastors were to stand up in a pulpit and they have been alone with God and they get up and say, I've been with God and here's a word that he's spoken into my heart through scripture to give to you today. Could you imagine how that would be different? I'm not talking about adding anything to Scripture, not even close. I'm talking about being so intimately connected with the Father that when he prompts, you hear and you respond. When he directs, you obey. 
When he leads, you follow. Minister out of the overflow of your relationship with God. Don't settle for spiritual crumbs when your heavenly father has asked you to sit and feast at his table. So how can it be that you're greatly used of God? Don't allow these particular pieces. Well, one, allow humility to define your life. Second, develop a partnership mentality. Third, refuse to let circumstances deter you. Fourth, minister out of the overflow of your relationship with God. If you do, you're asking to be used by God. Now, did you know those same four pieces will apply for anyone serving in any capacity? If you're a follower of Christ, let those same four pieces define you. Whenever you're following Christ and you're serving him, just know he does not promise a life of ease. He does not promise ministry without problems. There's going to be a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings. You're going to walk with people through their highest highs and their lowest lows. There's going to be times that you feel stretched. There's going to be times that you don't have anything to offer other than I'll pray for you and you get along with God. But here's the thing. God placed you there as salt and light. You get an opportunity to represent Christ in some of the most difficult, desperate moments that people ever walk through. That being said, guys, I am proud of both of you. I'm proud of what I've seen in each of your lives. Proud for your passion for the gospel, for discipleship. I'm proud to be able to look out and to see supporting wives who are sitting right next to you all. You all have wonderful partners in ministry. So as we close out this service, I'm going to ask you all to join me down front. And I want your wives. I want Ashley. I want Elisa. I want you all to join down front. Here's what we're going to do as we close some things out. There's going to be, in just a moment, a time when I'm asking for different family members, close friends, pastors, those who've been here to join each of these couples in support. And we want to pray over them. I, I'm, Brother Jerry's right here. Jerry Brown is Alan's grandpa. He's been a pastor for 49 years. All I can say is when you're still faithfully serving God 49 years later, you celebrate those things. Listen, I can remember back when God called me to vocational ministry. You looked at me and you said, Paul, I'm glad it's you and not me. <laughs> and you're like, you were looking out and you were saying, I'm looking at this world. And I'm like, there's things that change over time. And there always needs to be another generation coming along. I didn't understand what you said to me until I saw it with these guys. And all of a sudden, I'm looking out, and the older I get, I'm like, that song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. It comes to mind more and more often right now. But I am so glad you guys are the ones who are going to be handing this baton off and running the race further and farther than we've gone before. 
So I'm going to ask if each of the couples, if you all would come and join me right up front. Come right this way. Wonderful. I want you all to get a good look at these couples. Because Dalton and Elisa, they have served here within the student ministry now for a couple of years. And God has placed a calling on their life to go and to make disciples and to train students who be coming from all around the U.S. As much as it hurts me <laughs> to see this couple leave this church, here's something God's continued to teach me over the years. It's not about our church. It's about his kingdom. And when we have a big sign in our lobby that says, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them, this is a part of God sending out a couple to reach the next generation for Christ. But guess what? We're not going to be there each step along the way. They're about to step into another community of believers. Doesn't mean we can't pray for them. It can't come alongside. But we're not going to be there in that same way. I want you all to be praying faithfully for them. In this, I've got my nephew right here. This is Alan. In fact, if you all would like, I got pictures holding Alan as a baby on my lap. Sometimes it's good and bad that you have those relationships that go back that far. But here's what I can tell you about Alan. I can remember conversations with Jerry. I can remember conversations with my mom. He'd be seven, eight years old sharing the gospel with people in his class. And I can remember both parts of this. My mom would say, I'm wondering whether or not God is going to call him one day to be a pastor. I've gotten a chance to be able to watch those things happen along the way. And he's been in a mentoring program with me out in Las Vegas, and now he came here. He's now taken over some things in college ministry, and just God's hand is on him as well. But here's the thing I'm excited about. We get a chance not to ordain one. We get a chance to ordain two tonight. Do you know how rare that is to be able to say there's young people that God's calling to ministry, and we get a chance to pray over them. So at this time, I'm going to not only share with each of you guys. I, I, hopefully you all have heard the challenge enough right now in the message. Okay. And if you have any questions about that, we'll talk about it afterwards as well. But just know, I'm proud of you all. I'm always going to be here to serve and to help you any way I possibly can. I love you guys. So I'm going to ask family members, friends, if you all would, anybody who's around, we're going to kind of gather up around them and we're going to pray over them. So there might be some ladies who would want to come and kind of lay hands on each of the ladies. Some guys would be willing to come and to lay hands on these guys. But as we're closing things out, I want them to see how loved and how supported they are in this church. I want them to know that they're not alone. I want them to know that there's a group that is going to be interceding for them and praying for them. So you all keep coming in. Praise the Lord. There's just people wanting to come in every direction. You all don't forget that there's people right now linking arms and praying for you. That they have an investment in your life. So you all join me in prayer here. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray your blessing over top of Dalton Moore and Elisa. And I pray your blessing, Lord, over top of Alan and Ashley Gotthart. God, I'm asking right now that you would use 
these men, that you would use these couples in a mighty way to further your kingdom around the world. God, I'm praying right now that you would protect their marriages, God. Give them eyes only for each other. Lord, the enemy would want nothing more than to separate these marriages. God, protect them. Put a hedge around them, Lord. I pray that you would protect their children. Would you bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ at an early age? God, may they be the best Christian version of themselves in the home. And God, may you use them in order to spread the gospel around the world. Lord, I pray that you would allow them to grow in the good and the bad times, recognizing that all of it is being used of you in the sanctification process. Lord, I'm praying right now that there would be tens of thousands of people who come to know you as Lord and Savior because of the faithful witness, the proclamation of the gospel that will come from these individuals. Lord, we need you for that to happen. They are going out into a difficult ministry time where there are pastors who are under attack and Christians are under attack and the truths of your word are under attack and they're going to need a backbone of steel in order to stand up under the pressure and they need a heart that is just melting with love for people and love for you. So God, give them both. I pray that you would give them a double portion of every desire that they have in their hearts. Lord, may you Bless them beyond their wildest dreams. Allow them to be able to, to see you use them in incredible ways. And Lord, we will be careful to give you the praise and the glory for all that you do in their lives. And all God's people said together, amen, amen. amen. All right. So I have, as people are finding their places and hugging necks and all sorts of wonderful stuff, I have a couple of ordination certificates, as well as I've got a couple of massive Bibles that I want to give to these guys. Each of these Bibles weighs about 35 pounds apiece, so they are going to get ripped in the Word as they take this back and forth. Okay, so there, there's 70 pounds worth of preaching going on right now. All right, so for each of these guys... Oh, hey, y'all don't run away quite yet. We're not quite done. All right, so one, this is a Bible that is being presented to you all on behalf of Sherwood. And when I say it's heavy, I wasn't lying. It's a heavy Bible right there. Um, that is, that's one of those Bibles you keep over the course of your life. I, I have a Bible that God has allowed me to keep that I've made so many notes in that one day down the road, those will be great Bibles to give to your kids or your grandkids, that this is the journey that God has walked you all on. And then another piece that I would like to be able to give is here's an ordination certificate for each of you all. Now, for those of you who might not know what this process looks like, um, each of these guys, here, we'll turn like this, and that way you all are looking mighty handsome right there as uh, we have Brian trying to take pictures. But each of these guys have not only been serving and being able to be supervised and people watching them in their service, but each of them have gone through some pretty grueling Q&A sessions, talking about theology, talking about the gospel, talking about your testimony, how do you live your life, tell us about your marriage, tell us about your quiet time, tell us about how would you respond in a situation like this. There is a lot that they go through before they stand before you all. 
But whenever they stand before you all, we want you to know that they have been vetted, that they align with the qualifications of an elder that we find represented in Scripture, and we are excited to be able to stand behind them in this. So that being said, guys, I love you all. It's going to be a wonderful journey. Make much of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Paul. Love you. Love you. All right. So. We're going to close out in prayer and then definitely come and say congratulations if you didn't get a chance to already. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for all that you do. God, thank you for these families. Thank you for this service. Thank you for the call to gospel ministry. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful night, everyone.